All right, we are in our financial one things process. I'm in the midst of a 10-part series based on Psalms chapter 112. There are 10 verses in that chapter. I'm preaching one message for each of those verses. Today is part five of this 10-part series. And if you um, not turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms chapter 112 verse 5, uh, as is our custom in the week, I don't want you opening to it in your Bible or on your tablet or on your phone, because the verse is very simple. And, and actually what I'm believing for is that a good number of you are going to have memorized this entire chapter by the end of this 10-part series. Uh, I want you to take these verses home and meditate on them all week long. Every week when I give you this, these messages, I want you to meditate on these words and get them in your heart. Psalm 112, verse 5 says, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Repeat after me. Good will come to those who are generous. Good will come to those who are generous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Say it again. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Say it again. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Say it again. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. I pray that our eyes would be enlightened. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. And I pray that we would possess the full riches of complete understanding and that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I speak blessing over this time in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Good will come. You don't have to go get it. It will come. You don't have to go down to the store and put it in your cart and pay the price for it. It will simply come. There is a delivery system of goodness that God has in the heavens. He has good lined up on a conveyor belt and he sends his angels out to deliver packages of good to those who are generous and who lend freely. And if you are waiting for good to happen to you, then you'd better be about the business of being generous and lending freely. Because unless you are generous and lend freely, you have no expectation, you have no rightful expectation that good will come to you. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. What this verse means is that if you are not generous and if you do not lend freely, you cannot expect good to come. You better go get it. And there's a lot of people out there trying to find good and acquire it for themselves because they have no basis for believing the promise that it will come. But if I have a basis for the promise that it will come, then I don't have to spend my time seeking good. I don't have to spend my time trying to find it or searching for it with all of my heart. Instead, I can simply focus my attention on being generous and on lending freely because the promise is that if I am generous and if I lend freely, good will come. 
See, you don't have to seek to get good. You just have to seek to do good. You shouldn't be waking up in the morning wondering what kind of good you're going to get today. Hoping that you're going to get something good at your job. Hoping you're going to get something good from your wife. Hoping you're going to get something good at the store. Hoping you're going to get something good. Whenever we talk about blessing, we're talking about something that we're expecting to get. But God wants to get you beyond the place where you're expecting to get blessing. And get you to the place where you simply expect it's going to come to you. So you don't have to worry about trying to get it. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. You better be generous and lend freely. You better ask yourself this morning, am I generous and am I lending freely? If not, then I better get into that realm called generosity and free lending so that I can get under the spout of, the, of where the blessing comes out. Yeah, 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 come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah. Good will come to those who are generous. What is generosity? Generosity is the readiness to give more than is required or expected. It is the readiness to give more than is required or expected. If you give only what is required, if you give only what is expected, you haven't been generous. You've simply done what is required of you or done what is expected of you. You're not generous if you get a ticket and you pay it. You're not generous if you give your tithe to the Lord. That's just what's expected of you. That's, that's just baseline. You're not generous because you pay your bills on time. You're not generous because you feed your family. Generous, generosity means giving more than is required or expected. Giving more than is required or expected and giving without the expectation of a return. Generosity is giving more than required or expected and giving it without the expectation of a return. Generosity is giving to others what you would rather have for yourself. It's not giving to others that which you don't want for yourself. Going through your closet and giving away a coat that you haven't worn in six years is not generosity. It's, it's just collecting cobwebs in your closet and then you go give it and you think you've done something because you gave somebody a coat. You ain't done nothing. You gave away what you don't want. Generosity is when you give away what you want. When you give away what you would rather keep for yourself, now you've begun to enter into the realm called generosity. Generosity means that you're willing to go out of your way to give that which is uncomfortable, inconvenient, and costly. That is, generous giving is out-of-the-way giving. It is inconvenient, uncomfortable, and costly giving. Generosity is not when you drop somebody off at their house because they live on your way home. Generosity is when you take somebody to the other side of town, when you have to go in the opposite direction to take them home. Now, that's generosity. When you have to reshuffle your plans to make provision for someone else, now that's generosity. When you have to reshuffle your budget to make provision for something else, now that's generosity. Generosity costs you something. It takes you into the realm of discomfort, and good will come to those who are generous. But we must underscore that the generous do not expect a return. This is the thing we got to get, and here's the paradox. Good will come to those who give lavishly without expecting to receive anything. That is, good will come to those who give without expecting good to come to them because they gave. You can expect good to come to you if you give without expecting good to come to you. It's a paradox. But we got to get it today because there's a lot of pretend giving going on in the body of Christ. You know what I'm talking about? Pretend giving? Where you tell me it's free, but you still expect something back from me? 
Pretend giving is when you give somebody something under the guise of freeness, but expect reciprocation. If I take you out to lunch on Tuesday and say, no, it's on me. Don't worry about it. But I expect you to take me out to lunch on Wednesday. I pretended to buy you lunch. I actually loaned you lunch and expected you to pay me back with interest. It's pretend giving. It's not real giving. And the thing we got to understand, the scripture says here that the one is generous and lends freely. Good comes to the one who's generous and lends freely. Now, we got to talk about lending for a second so that we understand this. According to the New Testament, according to the teaching of Jesus, there is no distinction between giving and lending. Because in Luke chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus said, if you lend to those that you expect to pay you back, what good? You didn't do nothing. The Gentiles do that. He said, well, I loaned him $10,000. Does he have to pay you back? Yes, when you ain't done nothing. The Gentiles do that. But Jesus says, when you lend, don't expect it to come back to you. Meaning that whatever I lend, I just lost. And that I'm not. See, he got real quiet up in here. Oh, when the Lord touches my pocketbook, it's on. I'm not going to lend anything that I'm not willing to lose. And if I lent it, I just lost it. You following me? Now, in the body of Christ, we got to juxtapose that against Romans 13, 8. Which says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. If every believer in the body of Christ lends without expecting a return and everybody who borrows expects to return it immediately, we're not going to have any problems. Are you with me? But this is the thing. Your lending should look like giving. (laughs) But for many in the body of Christ, your giving looks like lending. Your your giving shouldn't look like lending. Your lending should look like giving. Meaning, even when you lend, it should be free. And when you give, it should absolutely be free. Without any expectation of return. Without any obligation. I'm giving this to you free of charge. No obligation. No expectation. I'm not waiting for your phone call to take me out to lunch because I took you out to lunch. I did it for free. That's what it means to give. And that is what it means to be generous. And this is why giving to the poor is so powerful because when you give to the poor, you're giving to someone who has absolutely no way of paying you back. I mean, it's not even possible that you're going to reciprocate. Not even possible. And so now I've done something because I've given and I've sown where I have absolutely no expectation of a return. Good's going to come to you because you're generous and you lend freely. You with me this morning? Amen. Now, we've got to see this play out. I see this playing out in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to get into this a little bit. Oh, by the way, if you owe somebody money in this room, don't think you ain't got to pay them now that I said that. <laughs> but if you, if you lent somebody money, let it go. In your mind and heart, let it go. If you get it back, receive it as a blessing. You with me? And next time, don't lend it if you're not able to lose it. You can't lose it, don't lend it. But once you lend it, you lost it. And receive that with joy. Be a cheerful giver. You with me? There's that verse in Proverbs. This is the thing. You gotta I I need to spend another minute here before I go on. You gotta get this. There's that verse in Proverbs, I believe it is Proverbs chapter twenty two, verse seven, that says the lender is slave to the borrower. No, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. When you practice pretend giving, 
You just made somebody your slave and they never even asked to be. You just enslaved them with expectation of a return. And a lot, you know, you go out to lunch sometimes. No, no, let me take it. No, no, let me do it. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'll do it. You know those kinds of folks? I love those kinds of folks. I go to lunch with you every week. (laughs) Oh, no, no. You know what I can't, you know what I don't get? Honestly, I'm just going to tell you. I don't get going Dutch. I don't get it. In the kingdom of God, I mean, when I'm sitting at lunch with you, it's an opportunity for generosity. Why would I pay mine and you pay yours and we walk away, neither of us taking the opportunity to be generous to one another? I mean, you've got to take that opportunity to be generous. Now, I mean, if it's a party of 15 or more, we're going to have to go Dutch. Y'all going to have to get your own. But you know what? You know what? Every once in a blue moon, every once in a blue moon, when I feel like a, when I feel like a baller, I'll, I'll pay for a big group like that. Just because I want to do it. I love, I wish I could do it more. When we're talking about generosity, generosity is the crown of financial freedom. Financial freedom is the power of generosity. The, 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 see, the, the, the worst part of financial bondage, the worst part of, of, of indebtedness and brokenness is that I have lost the power of generosity. Meaning there's things that I want to give to that I can't afford to give to. People I want to bless that I can't afford to bless. I want financial freedom because I want to be able to see something that I want to bless. And since that God wants to bless it and it doesn't matter what the number is, I want to be able to write the check and say, bam, there it is. Right? And so generosity, you are really exercising financial freedom. And so understanding that wherever you are financially right now generosity is within your power and discerning the appropriate level of generosity for your current state and walking in it. Now you are free financially. Amen. Now I'm going over to second Kings chapter four, verse eight and following. And I'm looking at this story of the Shunammite woman, this Shunammite woman. So the prophet Elisha comes into this town called Shunam. And when he comes into the town, he had some revival services And he was healing the sick, whatever he was doing, preaching, and folks were getting healed, left and right, holding revival, whatever he was doing. He was ministering powerfully. And there was a woman there, a Shunammite woman from the town of Shunam, who saw him ministering and understood that the power of God was moving through him. And so she comes up to the prophet after the service and says, the scripture says in in chapter 4, verse 8, she urged him to come to her home for a meal. Please come to my house so I can feed you. And he agreed. So he comes to her house, sits at her table, and she makes him a meal and sits it down before him, and he eats. The next time he comes to town, she finds him and urges him to come to her house for a meal. And she repeats this every time he comes to town. And finally she says, listen, whenever you're in town, please, you can eat at my place. You can eat at my place breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Just come to me for food when you're in town. I will feed you. And so every time he was in town, he would come knock on her door. She would welcome him in, sit him at the table, make him a meal and feed him. And it got to the point where she was so excited about this, she decided she wanted to do more. So she goes to her husband. Listen to this, husbands. She goes to her husband and she said, I know this man is a holy man of God. Please, can we build him a room on the roof? And can we put a bed in it? And can we put a table in it? And can we put a chair in it and put a lamp on it? Her husband throughout this whole passage almost says nothing. Whatever she wants to do, he goes, go ahead. 
Go right ahead. Husbands, are you listening to this? This man knew how to keep the peace in his household. He understood that the anointing flows through a man when he says yes to his wife. He understands that the church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus, Jesus said to his bride, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. And husbands, you come into your authority when you say to your wife, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. You ask me for anything and I'll do it. This man knew how to keep the peace in his house. Moving on. Well, (laughs) she says, can we build him a house on the roof? Interesting that she says, can we put it on the roof and not in the backyard? Notice she doesn't say, can we decorate the basement for the man of God? Put some throw pillows down there. Can we make the man of God a little tree house? Notice she doesn't say, can we make something that is subpar our standard of living and make it available to this poor man of God? She says, no, whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we're going to put it above what we do for ourselves. We're going to put it on the roof. She says, whatever I do for God is going to be above what I do for myself. And she, they build this room on the roof for the man of God and they put a bed in it because she wanted him to dwell. She wanted to create a dwelling place, and she wasn't really after the the dwelling of a man. She wanted the dwelling of God. She wanted this man to rest there because she knew the presence of the Lord rested upon this man. And if this man rested there, then even when the man left, the presence of the Lord would still rest there. And she wanted the presence of the Lord to be resting above her household, resting. She wanted the covering of the Lord over her household, and so she prepared a space for this man of God. And then she put a table there because she wanted sustenance to happen there, number one. One, she wanted the man of God to have a place where he could sit at a table and eat. But number two, she knew he was going to be in his word. And she wanted him to have a place to spread out his scrolls. She wanted the word of the Lord to transpire in her household. She wanted it spoken over her household. And secondly, she said, let's put a light in the room. Light always represents revelation in scripture. She says, I want revelation flowing in my household. And she put everything there and set up the place. And the next time the man of God comes to town, he knocks on her door. She opens it up. She says, welcome, prophet Elisha. And Elisha walks in. She sits him down at the table. She makes him a meal. She sits it in front of him. Probably arroz con gandules or something. (laughs) Or maybe some lumpia. I don't know what it was. (laughs) Probably more like falafel or something. But whatever it was, it was good. I mean, she obviously was a good cook. He kept coming back. (laughs) If he didn't knock on her door anymore. (laughs) He's like, what are these burnt offerings? (laughs) Do not worship me. (laughs) I like my steak medium well. No idolatry in my house. (laughs) When he finishes eating, she says, come with me. I got to show you something. And she takes him up the stairs and she opens the door. She says, this room. It's for you. He says, what do you mean this room's for me? He says, this room is yours. Nobody else is going to dwell here. Nobody else is going to rest here. It's set aside for you. When you come to town, please use this room here. Oh, he must have been blown away by that act of generosity. He says, wow. She says, I don't want you staying in these seedy hotels when you come to town. Come stay in my house. 
And he said, does your husband know about this? He said, my husband built this. And he comes, comes into her house, and now every time he comes to town, he comes and dwells in this room. And one day the prophet Elisha is relaxing on the bed in the afternoon and he starts to think about the way this woman has blessed him again and again and again and again. How she keeps on giving without expecting anything in return. And how her giving has been costly giving. How it has inconvenienced her time and time again, but yet she did it with joy. And how she, he never sensed any resentment. You know when somebody gives you something but you sense resentment? Like they don't want to do it. You feel like they want to do something for you, but then they treat you like, you know, you have inconvenienced them. You know what I'm talking about? He never felt any of that from her. He felt like she, she was just rejoicing at the opportunity to serve him. And she, he calls Gehazi, his servant, to the door. He says, call the Shunammite woman. And Gehazi says, Shunammite! (laughs) She comes up the stairs. And he says to his servant Gehazi, what can be done for her? Yeah. He says to her, what can I do for you? She says, I don't need anything. Yeah. He says, can I speak to the king or the commander on your behalf? She said, I dwell in the midst of my own people, meaning I don't get caught up in the politics around here. I don't need nothing from the commander or from the king. I don't need anything. I've got everything I need. I'm not doing this to get a blessing from you. Notice that the moment he asked her, what can I do for you? She didn't have a laundry list. <laughs> Well, now it's about time you asked. And she wasn't sitting by his door every time he came out. Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Waiting by the door. Can you pray for me? You in my house, at least you can do is bless me. Can you, you got any anointing oil? Can you anoint me with oil? She wasn't, she wasn't waiting for a blessing. And when he says, what can I do for you? She says, all I need is to know that I've provided a place for the man of God. Giving is my blessing. I don't need anything. Gehazi comes over to Elisha and whispers in his ear. She doesn't have a child. The prophet goes, in one year, you're going to hold a son. And she goes, don't mess with me, man of God. You go look at it. She goes, don't you play with me, man of God. Now, hold on a second, man. Don't you mess with my, don't be playing with my emotions like that. Do not mess with me. I didn't ask for that. You know what she's saying? Don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up. See, I've gotten so used to just accepting the fact that I'll never have a child. And I finally gotten to the place where I'm okay with that. Don't get my hopes up by telling me I'm going to have a, man of God, don't you mess with me. He doesn't even respond. A year later, guess what happened? Three months later, she must have got pregnant. Because a year later, she's holding a baby boy. Look at that. How awesome is that? Why? You know what happened there? Her seed demanded a harvest. She wasn't even looking for a harvest, but her seed demanded it. She didn't realize that in exercising generosity, she was making covenant with the man of God. You hearing me? 
She thought she was just giving and being generous, but she didn't know that her sacrifice was forging a covenant between her and the man of God. You see, God said in in, in Psalm chapter 50, verse 5, gather to me my chosen ones, those who have made covenant with me by sacrifice. You don't know that the moment you make sacrifice, you offer something sacrificial, you have made covenant with the one to whom you have offered your generosity. She didn't even know it. She, so you've got to understand what a covenant is. Yeah. A covenant is a binding agreement between two individuals yeah. that sets the tone for their relationship. Yeah. It sets expectations. Huh. And you've got to know, even in the natural, even in the natural, if I call Stephanie and say, Stephanie, let's go to lunch on Tuesday. And on Tuesday, I take her out to a nice lunch, San yeah. Tung in San Francisco. We get that yeah. dry fried chicken. Mmm. Yeah. <laughs> And then I pay for it and I say, have a good day. And she goes, oh, thank you so much. I feel so blessed. And the week later, I call her back and I say, let's go to lunch. And then I take her to someplace else, you know, like Shandong in, in downtown Oakland, right? And we have some Chinese food there. And, and then I pay for it. She goes, oh, thank you so much. I say, oh, no problem, no problem. Then a week later, I call her again. I say, let's go out to lunch again. I take her to lunch. I speak into her life. I pay for it again. Oh, thank you so much. Thank You know what's going to happen after several weeks of that? She's going to say, what can I do? Why are you blessing me again and again and again and again? What I mean, even in the natural, if somebody did that for you, wouldn't you just be overflowing with thanksgiving? Wouldn't you be looking for a way to bless that person back? Yeah. Even in the natural, your sacrifice makes covenant. Yeah. She didn't know that her seed demanded a harvest. Yeah. And she wasn't giving her seed an expectation of a harvest. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was simply sowing yeah. seed. Yeah. But there's no such thing in the kingdom of God as a seed that fails to bear fruit. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you this story. You've got to know there's somebody sitting in this room right now yeah. who a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, walked up to me on a Sunday after service and said, Pastor, pray for me. I said, what's wrong? She said, my whole family is getting ready to get deported and we're going to have to go back to our country. They're from another country. Man, my heart just broke. And she told me the story and she was like, I talked to the lawyers, everybody. They said it's a done deal. I've contested it. We're in the courts, but by the end of this year, it's going to be done and I'm going to have to go back. I took her hands. I'm like, Lord, please, I'm feeling this desperation. You know, we're crying. We're praying. A week later, that person walked up to me and shook my hand. Tears in her eyes. I thought she was going to ask me to pray for her. But she took my hand and I felt something in her hand. And she just clasped my hand with both of her hands and said, I love you, Pastor. And when I opened it up, as soon as she turned away, I opened it up, it was a check. It was like $100, something like that. Before the Lord, the moment I looked at that offering, I felt the heavens shift over her whole situation. Amen. And I grabbed her. I said, it's done. Amen. It's done. She said, what do you mean? I said, it's over. It's done. No more praying. Mm-hmm. She said, what, what? I said, I just felt the heavens shift over your situation. It is impossible for them to deport you. That's right. It's impossible. It's, it's not possible that they would deport you. No more praying. It's done. She said, amen, amen, amen. About four or five months later, I come out of my office on a Thursday night before service, and she's sitting in the hallway, and she's kind of trembling and crying. And I thought, oh, no. (laughs) She's she's getting ready to tell me that they're sending her back early. (laughs) Oh, no, oh, no. My heart just sank for a second. And she stood up, she said, Pastor, they threw the case out of court. I said, what happened? She's like, the lawyer, the prosecutor lost the, the paperwork. Whatever the, the, the evidence was, they just lost it somehow. And they got to court and they didn't have it, so the judge had to throw it out. They threw it out. It's gone. It's over. 
Her seed demanded a harvest. And that was a supernatural seed. Not a, see, don't, don't, get this, don't get it twisted now. Yeah. It's not pay your money and pull the slot and you get a blessing. Yeah. Don't get that. T- you know? Because I don't want nobody in here who's believing for a new Bentley to come up after the service, give, give me some money, thinking you're going to get a Bentley like her. You know what I mean? Oh, God's going to bless me like he blessed her. There was a supernatural component. That was a supernatural seed she sowed. Yeah, yeah. And she reaped a supernatural harvest. Her seed demanded a harvest. Yeah, Are you hearing yeah, me tonight? Yeah, 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 this yeah. morning. Mm. So the Shunammite woman mm. is holding this baby. Yeah. Good came to her. Yeah. She wasn't seeking it, but it came. Yeah. Good comes yeah. to those who are generous and live freely yeah. and, get, and lend freely. Yeah. And good came to this woman. Yeah. And that child was good. Yeah. A boy, baby boy. Yeah. Her pride and joy, her husband's pride and joy. Yeah. And several years went by, and he's a little boy now, and it's harvest time. And her husband is out in the field reaping the harvest. They're seeing even in the natural, their seed is bearing fruit and become fruitful. And the husband says to the, the baby boy, come with me. You're going with me to reap the harvest. And he takes him out in the harvest field and yeah. they're gathering in the harvest yeah. and he's rejoicing with his son. And all of a sudden his son says, daddy, my head hurts. Now, you know, kids say that all the time. Yeah. You know, my daughter's four and a half years old. Something always hurts, <laughs> especially when it's time to go to bed or time to brush her teeth. Or, you know, my, my tummy hurts. My tummy hurts. Would you like some ice cream? Yes. No, you can't. Your tummy hurts. It doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> so the daddy said, he called one of the servants. He said, come here. Picks up his son. He goes, take him to his mother. So the servant runs into the house, puts the boy on his mother's knees. And she's sitting there holding her baby. And he kept saying, my, my head hurts. My head hurts. My head hurts. And the pain got worse and worse and worse until the boy lost consciousness. And the scripture says that he sat on her knees until noon and then died. The blessing of the Lord died right in her arms. The promise of God that she had always longed for but couldn't even find the gumption to ask for died right in her arms. You know, many of you have been in that place where something that God gave you died right before your arms. Right before your eyes. Many of you have been in that place where God blessed you with something and it died in your arms. And when God blesses you with something, there's absolutely no expectation that it could ever die. When God supernaturally intervenes in your life and blesses you with something, you just tend to believe that it's indestructible. This thing can't die. God gave me this. But yet it died. How is that possible? But the question is, what do you do when the blessing of God dies in your arms? I'm telling you today, when the, when the blessing of God dies in your arms, you better have a room that belongs to God in your house. Yeah, 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 yeah. This woman didn't fear because she knew she had a room in her house that belonged to God. And she took that dead baby boy and marched up the stairs and into that room and laid him on the bed of the prophet. Yeah, 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 yeah. She said, this used to be the prophet's bed. Now that's my boy's bed. Yeah. And it says she went out of the room and closed the door behind her. You know what she was saying? God, this is your problem. I didn't ask for this, but once you gave it to me, I made a decision that I'm not going to lose it. I wasn't looking for it, but now that you gave it to me, I've just decided that I'm not going to lose it. 
See, so many of us, we think the opposite way. Before you get blessed, you're crying out for the blessing. But then when you lose it and it dies in your arms, you go, oh, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. This woman was the opposite. She didn't ask for it before she got it. But once she got it, she says, I'm holding on to this. This thing is not going to die. I'm not going to stand for it. What God gave me, I'm going to keep it. Watch this. She goes out the field to her husband. Their son is dead on the bed upstairs. She gets her composure together. No tears in her eyes. Yeah. Goes out to her husband. He goes, she goes, hey, baby, uh, send me a servant with the donkey. I've got to go visit the prophet. <laughs> husband goes, why are you going to visit the prophet? It's not the time to go visit the prophet. There's no church tonight. She goes, don't worry about it. It is well. It's well. It's all good. All good. It's all good. Just send me a servant with a mule. Don't worry about it. The servant comes with the donkey. She gets on the donkey. She says, you go to the man of God as fast as you can. Don't you slow down unless I tell you to. And now this servant is running that donkey and she's, you know, I mean, it's like she's going full speed ahead. And the prophet is sitting under a tree with Gehazi chilling, his servant chilling by his side, sipping iced tea. He's just chilling. He looks out. He sees the Shunammite woman coming. And he says, it's the Shunammite woman. She seems distressed. Run out and say to her. Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? And so Gehazi runs out there and he meets her and he says, Is it well with you? She says, It is well. Is it well with your husband? It is well. Is it well with your son? It is well. Isn't it interesting that to her husband she said, It's all good. And to the servant she says, It's all good. But then she gets to the prophet and she jumps down off that donkey and falls at his feet and grasps his feet and starts weeping and wailing and pouring out our man of God, you came into my house. Did I ask for a son? And she's weeping and wailing and pours it all out. She didn't cry to her husband. You can't do anything about it. So why am I going to cry to you? She's not crying out to the servant. You can't do anything about it either. So why are you even asking me what's wrong when you can't fix it for me? See, some of you have been crying on the wrong shoulder. I mean, you're crying to everybody. Anybody who will give you five minutes, you'll pour out your heart and tell them all about your problems. But you won't spend five minutes in the presence of the Lord telling him what's wrong. The Bible says to cast all your cares and sorrows on him. He cares for you. I'm not telling you my problems anymore. And don't get me wrong. It's not about isolation. It's about understanding that when I pour out my heart, I'm pouring it out to the one who can actually do something about it. She says to her husband, I didn't make covenant with you over this. And she says to the servant, I didn't make covenant with you over this. She goes to the prophet and said, this is your problem. I made covenant with you over this. You got to learn to come before God and say, this is your problem, God. And the prophet says, Gehazi, take my staff and run to the home and lay it on the face of the boy. And she says, that's not good enough, prophet. No, you're coming to my house. You're coming yourself. You're not sending a servant. You're not sending your word. You're not sending your staff. Because I didn't give to your servant or your staff. I gave to you. Do you know that you have that kind of influence with God? When you come to the point where you say, God, you're going to have to deal with this. I'm not asking you to send an angel. (laughs) There's this whole thing about the angels now. Everybody's calling on the angels. Don't believe in angels. No, 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 no. Listen, I'm calling on the name of the Lord. 
Lord, you come yourself. Rend the heavens and come down. Let the nations quake. Let the mountains tremble in your presence. God, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him turn and run away from his presence. I'm talking about the coming of the Lord. There's some situations that require the Lord himself. I say, God, I know it's not the end of the age, but I need you to intervene right now. And when the prophet saw he wasn't getting out of this, he got up and went with her. You know why he got up and went with her? Because her seed was still making a demand of him. She followed him all the way to the house. He went up into the room. He opened the door. He saw the boy laying there dead. He closed the door behind him. And the scripture says that he began pacing. Pacing. And calling on the name of the Lord. He's pacing. He's walking. And crying out and praying. Let me ask you a question. If you get sick and you go to the hospital and some ill befalls you, is there anybody in your life that you've been generous enough that they're going to be pacing and praying for you? Anybody whose heart is going to be so pulled because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness, that they say, I've got to go to war for this person. When, it, when, it, when you go down, is there anybody that you've made covenant with? See, when I go down, I, you better believe there's going to be some people up in here pacing. <laughs> Somebody better be pacing back and forth and crying out to God. And then the prophet laid his body out over the child and put his eyes on his eyes and put his mouth on his mouth and put his hands on his hands and cried, oh, Lord, let this child's spirit return to him. And when nothing happened, he got up and paced again and prayed. He didn't do it once and then say, oh, well. He didn't open the door and say to the mother, I've done all I can. I'm sorry. God moves in mysterious ways. We don't understand this now. But when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. You know what that prophet, the level of covenant he had with that woman, when that prophet closed the door, he said, God, I'm here till this is done. I mean, if I starve to death in this room with this boy, I'm here till this is done. My bones are going to be next to his bones if that's the way it's going to be. But God, I'm here till this is done. He made a decision that he's going to pray until this is done. And finally, he stretched himself out over that boy the last time. And the boy sneezed seven times and returned to life. He opened the door, said, Gehazi, call the Shunammite. Gehazi said, Shunammite! She came up the stairs, and he presented his son to her alive. She gave without expecting to receive. But then when she received, she received without expecting to lose. And some of you have received, but from the moment you receive, you expected God to take it away from you at any minute. Some of you are here in this room this morning. You've been struggling with the generosity piece. Because you came into this house this morning after you have given and given and given and given. And you can think of five people in your head right now that you've given to and given to and given to who never reciprocated and gave you back. And you're bitter in your heart. I've given. 
but I haven't received. You're bitter in your heart towards those people or that person. Don't they see how much I've given them? For some of you, it's your own child. For some of you, it's your own parent. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's your brother or your sister. Maybe it's just a friend. <coughs> the first thing God wants to do is bring you back into the realm of generosity. And it's, you know, listen, if you're in that place, you don't have to give anything more for it to be generosity. You just have to move your heart out of that place of entitlement yeah. where you're expecting something back. For some of you this morning, God is taking your heart out of that place of entitlement and bringing it back into the place of generosity. Where your heart begins to cry out, Lord, if I don't get anything back for this, I'm just going to freely give. And some of you have been so bitter about it that you've said in your hearts, God, I'm never giving to anybody that way again. Mm -hmm. Nobody will ever take advantage of me that way again. Mm -hmm. God wants to heal you of that bitterness. Because, see, you're bitter that man didn't give back to you. But when you come back into the place of generosity, you bring yourself into alignment with the promise, and now God can give back to you. That's why Jesus said, when you give, don't go into the streets with trumpets and announce it. Give in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Every place at which you've given and received nothing in return, cherish that place in your heart. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to be generous. Because if that person paid me back, I would have lost my ability to be generous. Good will come to him who is generous, who lends freely. Good will come. Not from man, from God. It's God that you made covenant with when you gave. You were serving the Lord Christ, not man. Even if you were serving man, you were serving man on behalf of God. I'm serving God. God, I'm going to serve you by serving my wife. Some of you are bitter towards your spouse because you say, as much as I do for her, she doesn't do anything back for me. Let that go from your heart right now. And serve the Lord. Let it go. That's what Paul said when he said, whatever's to my profit, I count loss. I lost it. And some of you are here and you just feel that people in your heart owe you. They owe me. They owe me. You got to release them right now. You got to release them. You got to release. You're holding captives in your heart. The, The borrower is the slave to the lender. You've been doing some human trafficking. Because you're holding slaves captive in your own heart and in your own mind. You're holding them as slaves. I'm not letting you go until you pay me back. You've thrown them in a prison of your own heart and mind. I'm going to hold you there until you pay me back. Some of you are here today. You're holding your own parent, your father, your mother captive for what they owed you from when you were a little girl or a little boy. you got to open that prison door and let those captives go free. And you know what it's called? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. See, when we're talking about monetary generosity, we're talking about a financial form of forgiveness. Meaning in the natural, you owe me a debt, but I forgive you your debts. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts 
as we forgive our debtors. Whatever I thought you owed me, you don't owe me anything. It's all under the blood of Christ because he paid for my debts and he paid for your debts. So how can I hold a debt against you? It's called forgiveness. And forgiveness is the most difficult thing in the world for us to do. And you know what? In, the, in fact, forgiveness is impossible. It's impossible. Some of you are in financial debt because of your unforgiveness in your heart. You remember the parable of the wicked servant? He goes before the master. He owed him 10,000 talents, which is like 100 years wages. And the master said, I'm going to throw you in prison if you don't pay. And he pleaded with the master, said, just give me time. And the master realized the debt was too big. And so he wiped it out and set him free. But then he went and grabbed his brother who owed him one denarius, which was a day's wages. And he grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me now. He says, give me time. I'll pay you all. But he refused and he threw him in jail. And when the master heard it, he called him in and he handed him over to the torturers. See, some of us here today have been handed over to the torturers because of unforgiveness. And you're crying out to God to set you free from your torment. God will set you free the moment you let all the captives free out of your house. Some of you got a 40-foot steel container in your heart and it's full of slaves. And you got to open that door today and say, you don't owe me anything. The blood of Christ has released you. The blood of Christ has spoken. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. And you know what? You can't do it by your own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit is able to do it. And when you come to that place where you don't have the power to forgive on your own, you got to do what Jesus did. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he was in so much physical pain that he couldn't forgive by his own power. So he said, Father, forgive them. He didn't say, Father, I forgive them. He said, Father, forgive them. You know what he was saying? Father, will you forgive them for me? I can't find the power in me to forgive them, but Father, you forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You need to pray that prayer over everyone that you're holding captive in your heart tonight, this morning. Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Open that prison doors. You know, you want to talk about the anointing? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to open prison doors for those in chains of darkness. you got to open prison doors for those who are in chains in your own heart today and let those captives go free. Let them go. Bow your heads today. Generosity. Generosity is the power of freedom. The power to release every captive. The moment I give it, I forgive it. Give and forgive. I gave you my time, but you took it and spit it out on the side of the road. So you wasted my time. Well, I give it and I forgive it. It wasn't a waste. It's generosity. The Lord will reward. The power of generosity. Forgive. We forgive our debtors. We forgive our debtors. God wants to bring you back into the realm of generosity right now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let your Holy Spirit fall heavy on every heart and every mind and release the power of supernatural forgiveness, the release of captives. Hallelujah. 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 The release of captives. The release of captives. I want you to begin to call out those names with your mouth. And say, Father, forgive them. Name them. Father, forgive them. 
Father, forgive them. If you can't name them because they're sitting in the row with you, just say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Come on, release your captives today. Don't participate in this human trafficking. You got more slaves in your heart than they got in the world. Release them today. Set them free. To set the captives free. Set at liberty those who are bound. You're going to liberate yourself today. The power of forgiveness liberates you. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You're only poisoning you. Good comes to those who are generous and lend freely. Who conduct their affairs with justice. Father, I just speak your blessing over each one. 